from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through chapter 2, verse 10. In Christ, you, were also, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised, by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning and Happy New Year to you, church. Congratulations, you made it to 2024, and uh, that's something to celebrate. My name is Isaiah, I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn, and it uh, is so good to be with you on this Sunday. Elizabeth and I returned from uh, some time with Elizabeth's family a week uh, from the day after Christmas through January 2nd, but we feel a bit like uh, we're in a blur we had a great time with Elizabeth's family, but as Jeff just mentioned, last Sunday, New Year's Eve, uh, we received word that my 98-year-old grandfather, Paul Roberts, had passed away. This was not unexpected. We had traveled up uh, in October up to Maine uh, to see him and to say goodbye, but that doesn't mean, even though it was not unexpected, that it's not heavy and hard we found that out on Sunday, and that meant that we spent the next few days trying to figure out how to make it back to Maine 
uh, get up there via uh, a plane flight and um, getting hotel reservations, renting a car, and just representing the Lewis side of the family up there and communicating with family. Funeral went very, very well. We connected with extended family that I have not seen literally in decades. I met a cousin that I don't ever remember meeting before, so that was enjoyable. And I'm very thankful, we are very thankful as a church uh, that you give us the freedom to be available for family in moments like that, and to be a part of what goes on in the life of our extended family. So thank you to each of you. All of that being said, Liz and I feel a bit like we are stumbling into 2024. I don't know about you, but in God's providence, I had planned today's message to be a bit of an orientation message for us for the new year. So we're going to spend our time the next few moments orienting ourselves as a church, who we are and where we're going. So last week, Craig took us to Colossians 3, reminding us of our union with Christ. This coming Sunday, a week from today, Pastor Eddie Jacks from Resurrected here in town is going to be with us, and he will open up the word for us. I've been excited to have him. Tried to get him here last year. It just didn't work out, so I'm excited to uh, enjoy his presence as he opens the word to us next Sunday. We want to continue to further gospel-centered relationships with other churches in our city. The week after that, January 21st, we're going to begin uh, a new series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to title that series, The Upside, or Life in the Upside-Down Kingdom. And that will take us really all the way up to the summer. But as we think about where we are right now as a church, who are we and where are we going generally in 2024? Those are the questions I'd like us to ask and answer. If you know Elizabeth and I, you know we enjoy traveling, and it doesn't really matter what that traveling is for, even if it's for a sad occasion like a funeral. Whether we are flying or driving, we enjoy the journey. Maybe not the security line at the airport, but for the most part, we enjoy the journey. We enjoy the off-beaten paths on vacations. We enjoy finding uh, those back roads to avoid standstills on the interstate. Those off-beaten paths and back roads slow us down to a pace that allows us to take in what we're seeing, to enjoy the scenery, to talk about it, to point things out to each other. Slowing down allows us to look around. But it also allows us to look ahead. Often as we're Driving down the road, Liz will have her phone out, looking at Google Maps, plotting for us perhaps a better path forward than the one that Waze has laid out for us, where we're stuck in traffic. So we'll have the opportunity to decide, are we going to tee up another podcast and sit in this traffic, or are we going to sneak off on that exit and explore that oh-so-enticing state highway that is not bumper-to-bumper? Looking around and looking ahead. That's what I'd like us to do this morning. Look around and look ahead. This sermon, like I said, is going to be a bit different than normal. Normally we would take a passage like the one Aaron just read for us and we would begin to walk through it and explore what the text has to say. But this morning 
we're going to remind ourselves of our church's philosophy and direction, a philosophy and direction that's built upon not just one passage, but really upon how we understand the entirety of Scripture's story to be what we understand it to be. So two simple points, looking around and looking ahead. First, looking around. Some of you have been at Sojourn since its founding or nearly that long. Others of you have only recently begun to attend or to call Sojourn home. So let's look around together to remember and to maybe understand for the first time who we are as a church. And I'd like to summarize that, if I may, in one sentence and then break it down. Who are we as a church? Well, we are a gospel-centered church living in gospel-shaped community, cultivating a gospel culture. I'm guessing you heard the repetition in there over and over again of the word gospel. In any church, including ours, the gospel can be quickly assumed and then ignored and thus easily lost. So we need to remind ourselves of how the Bible defines the gospel. And we did so earlier using 1 Corinthians 15 as a basis. But let's see specifically what Paul writes in the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, Now, I want you, church at Corinth, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand... And by which you are being saved. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Paul wanted to make clear the gospel to this church family. He considered it of first importance, of the most importance. And at Sojourn, so do we. Now, there are other doctrines that are very important, but there's only one that can be of first importance. When people ask me when I'm out and about what type of church sojourn is, they typically are looking for an answer like we're Baptist or Presbyterian or Anglican or Independent. But rather than choosing one of those predetermined categories to define and emphasize what makes us distinct and unique from other Christian churches, I rather start here. I say we are a gospel-centered church. There are other doctrines that we celebrate and hold on to by conviction, but only one truly defines us as a church, and that is the gospel. Now, unfortunately, rather than that making us normal as a church, it actually makes us distinct, because typically churches focus on that which makes them unique, not that which unites them with other churches. But we emphasize what should be the one clear unifying theme across the Christian church landscape, the gospel. But what is the gospel? We've only said the word two dozen times so far. Well, this is the definition that we use here at Sojourn. We've 
used it in services before. We've even used it in our profession of faith before. So I'm going to encourage you to say it along with me as it's up on the screen. The gospel is the good news that God the Father saves sinners and restores his creation by the Spirit through the perfect life, substitutionary death, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ the Son. Now notice that this definition includes individual salvation. The Father saves sinners. But it also includes the renewal of all things. The Father restores His creation. Both are true. And friends, we believe that this gospel changes absolutely everything. If you follow Jesus, the gospel redefines your daily postures, your tasks, your relationships, including your marriage and your friendship, friendships. The gospel changes your priorities. It changes your parenting style, your work ethic. It changes how people experience you in life because you are in Christ through the gospel. And because of that, everything has changed. God is making everything new. We are now part of the restoration of all things. Because we are centered on this gospel as a church, that means at least five things for us. First, it means we're committed to the Trinity. We are Trinitarian. We want to honor each member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And you heard that in the definition that we just spoke together. God the Father saves sinners and restores His creation by the Spirit through the work of Jesus Christ, the Son. So we're Trinitarian, and unapologetically so. Second, we are, or rather being gospel-centered means that we are committed to Christ-centered expositional preaching. Some expositional preaching simply advances knowledge. But the problem with that is that knowledge puffs up. We know that from the Scriptures. But we believe a preaching philosophy that intentionally brings us back to the person of Jesus weekly over and over again. That preaching will be used by God to transform his people and to spiritually form disciples. To bring people to saving faith. So you will hear me pray this on occasion before a message. Father, may Jesus Christ himself be the one preaching... And may he be what people remember. So we are Trinitarian and we're expositional. Third, being gospel-centered means we are committed to spiritually formative worship services. Or we could say we're liturgical. Every part of our liturgy is crafted to bring us back over and over again to the gospel. Because friends, what we don't repeat... We forget. We assume what we don't intentionally keep in front of us. So weekly we are reminded that we are sinners in need of God's grace. The very grace that he's shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we call one another to joyfully repent of our sin in order to experience the grace of God more deeply. And our prayer is that this rhythm then begins to 
transform us individually and begins to get worked out in our daily lives. One step of repentance and one step of faith. One step of repentance and one step of faith so that we move out of this place into our homes and into our workplaces with a shuffling Christian step. One step of repentance and one step of faith. One step of repentance and one step of faith. Fourth, being gospel-centered means we are committed to the Great Commission, or we could say we are missional. We believe that God wants us to be inviting others into a life-altering encounter with the real person of Jesus through his gospel. Not only does he want us to be a part of this, this is what God himself is doing in our day and age. He is calling together from every tribe, nation, tongue, and people a multitude of individuals redeemed by the blood of Jesus who will one day worship him for all of eternity and reign with him on the restored heavens and earth. This is what God is doing and he is inviting us to be a part of inviting people into this. And we want to do so in a holistic way. You see, it's not enough, according to Jesus, to simply declare something to be true. Our lives, our actions, ought to be shaped by the facts that we say we believe. So we don't just declare gospel facts. We want to engage in gospel acts. And we want to support missionaries that do both as well. We want to love neighbors well. We want to treat every human being as an image bearer of God, worthy of respect and dignity. Which means as a church, you will hear us from the front, vocally stand against abortion and racism and ageism and ableism and sexism and abuse and euthanasia and medically assisted dying. And our call to one another is not to just vocally stand against these things, these evils, but then in our individual lives and practices and experiences to individually love and pursue those who are on the margins or those who've been targeted by such evils in our neighborhoods and our communities. So we want to be missional. And fifth, Being gospel-centered means we're committed to gospel community, or we could say communal. We believe that mankind was made for community by a God who is himself a community. He is one God in three persons. He's the Trinity. And we believe that you, you individually cannot live a life of flourishing as God intends for you to live apart from living in Christian community. We believe that to such a degree that it's actually in our members' covenant that members will commit themselves to a small group in order to cultivate relationships that spur one another towards embracing the gospel more deeply. And that brings us to the second part of this sentence that we've used to define our church. We are a gospel-centered church living in gospel-shaped community. Gospel-shaped community. Friends, we follow a Savior who willingly scandalized his religious society 
in order to befriend the outcasts, the outsiders, and the sinners. And friends, we want to be a church that does the same. And one word is at the heart of this. It's the word hospitality. It doesn't simply mean cooking a meal for someone. That is certainly part of hospitality. But hospitality at its heart is receiving others as they are. No preconditions. With love and joy and curiosity about each one as an image bearer of God. But often it's our anxiety, our fear, perhaps our shame or discomfort that, res- that keeps us from receiving others in this way. But friends, that did not stop our Father from receiving us. We have a hospitable welcome from the Father through Christ. The Father receives us as we are, broken, flawed, weak, helpless, unlovely, sinful, doubting, And by the Spirit, He heals us, He strengthens us, He forgives us, He helps us, He brings us into His family. And friends, if God has done this for us, then should this not shape our interactions and our posture towards those who are not yet in the family of God? What might it look like for us as a church to move towards that holy and scandalous type of love for others, that one or another part of society has deemed as unworthy. And yes, we ought to be wise about how we demonstrate this hospitable welcome. But nonetheless, we must demonstrate it. The love of God for us is scandalous. So let's embrace it and live out of it. And be hospitable as we live in community. So at the risk of stepping on some toes, let me be very clear in this political season that we find ourselves in as Americans. Being a gospel-shaped community means we focus on the most important factor that unites us. The gospel. We will refuse to spend our time and energy breaking off into factions based on what divides us. That's what the culture wants. So, for example, if you are a politically conservative person, you are welcome here. And we will call you to love and embrace your politically liberal brothers and sisters in this fellowship. We will not only call you to that, we will expect that of you. And if you are a politically liberal person, you are welcome here. And we will call you to love and embrace your politically conservative brothers and sisters in this fellowship. And we will expect it of you. Neither the Republican nor Democratic political party defines us. We will refuse to be defined by a political party platform. We will refuse to be defined by any political personality. There's only one person that will define sojourn, and his name is Jesus. And he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it doesn't matter if you mark R or D or I on your ballot. No no party platform is the perfect enshrinement of faithful Christianity living or Christian living today. Each platform has its strengths 
and considerable weaknesses. Each party platform ignores multiple aspects of reality in God's good but sin-cursed world. So we refuse to both disengage from the current cultural moment and we refuse to be sidetracked by lesser disagreements. So within your life group, within this fellowship, two brothers or sisters may genuinely disagree about foreign policy or fiscal policy or economic policy or approaches to education or gun control or green energy or drill anywhere approaches. And as Christians, we ought to be able to engage in those conversations with love, with respect, with curiosity, but we will refuse to divide over those things. This is part of receiving one another hospitably. And how can we do this? How are we able to embrace this in a culture that expects the exact opposite? We come back to the gospel. Romans 15. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus. So that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Therefore, welcome one another just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. So we are a gospel-centered church living in gospel-shaped community, cultivating a gospel culture. Cultivating a gospel culture. What is a gospel culture? Now there are multiple ways of describing this. But first, let me pique your interest and maybe create some buy-in on this. Okay? If you consider Sojourn to be your home church... We want you to feel the weight and the joy of being a steward of this gospel culture. We want you to be a cultivator, a guardian, a caretaker, a promoter, a cheerleader, an embracer of gospel culture. So what is this gospel culture? Well, we could think about it diagrammatically. A gospel culture lives at the intersection. The nexus, the overlapping point of three things. Faithful teaching, faithful living, and faithful loving or affections. If we want to use big words, we could say at the intersection of orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and orthopathy. Faithful teaching, faithful living, and faithful affections. Now, many of us have experiences in churches that embraced one of these circles to the exclusion of the other two. And perhaps part of your story includes church hurt that lines up with this reality. But friends, let's be clear. God uses broken churches. And I'm very thankful for that because guess what? Sojourn, we're a broken church. We're made up of broken people. And the reality is each one of us leans towards one of these circles more than the other two. But a gospel culture is found where these three realities overlap. Friends, we want to be faithful in teaching sound doctrine. 
but we also want to be faithful in conforming our lives by the Spirit's help and through His conviction to that sound doctrine. But if all of that is done without a genuine love for God and others, that's the faithful affections piece, then we're missing the point. And we're subverting the gospel we say we believe. You see, Jesus is the way to God. He is the embodiment of faithful living. But Jesus is also the truth. He's the truth about God in the flesh. He's the embodiment of faithful teaching. But he's also the life. He's an embodiment of the life of human flourishing God intends, loving God perfectly and loving others as himself. And we are arrogant to think we can choose one of these word pictures, the way, the truth, or the life, while disregarding the other two. So church, as I said, we are calling you to be a steward of, a protector of, a cultivator of this type of culture. But that begins with self-awareness. Which one of these is easiest for you to embrace? Name it right now in your mind. Which one is easiest for you to dismiss or overlook as unimportant or less important than the other two? Would someone who knows you well, like a parent or a good friend or a roommate or a spouse, would they agree with your answers? Why not ask someone? What might it look like for you this year to lean into that area of weakness? Now there's a New Year's resolution that the Spirit would be delighted to help you keep. And what members of this community seated around you could you humbly invite into to help cultivate this sort of gospel culture in your own soul? Gospel culture, the overlapping point between faithful living, faithful teaching, and faithful loving. So we can think about it diagrammatically. But we can also think about it mathematically, using an equation. A gospel culture is lots of gospel, plus lots of safety, plus lots of time. This is not original to me, this is... Pastor Ray Ortland, who is the, one of the authors of the book that Jeff recommended earlier, that we've got multiple more copies out there. This is what we want to extend to you, to ourselves, and to one another. Lots of gospel, lots of safety, and lots of time. Because as we go deeper into the gospel, what happens is God uncovers within us more and more unhealth. More and more sin, more and more ways we fail to live up to God's holy and righteous standards. So we need to be a safe place for one another to process through those weaknesses and failures and doubts and sins. Not coddling them, but processing through them. And friends, that takes time. We aren't in a hurry here. American culture is in a hurry, isn't it? You probably have felt in a hurry this week. 
there was a lot to do, a lot to get done, and you're probably at the end of the week going, I didn't get done everything on my to-do list. But here at Sojourn, we aren't in a hurry. The gospel frees us to follow Jesus imperfectly because it frees us to own our sin and our weakness in humility and then to lay both before the Father in repentance and to cling once again to the sufficiency of Jesus' perfection and salvation. And guess what? We then have to do that again. And then we have to do it again and again and again and again and again. That's the life of faith for the Christian until we see him face to face. In fact, Jesus is honored as we lay before him our weakness and our sin and cling to him once again. But that takes a lot of gospel. It takes a lot of safety. And it takes a lot of time. This is what we want to create cultivate and guard and friends we need you to be a part of cultivating that sort of culture so looking around we are a gospel-centered church living in gospel-shaped community cultivating a gospel culture so let me ask you a question if you are not yet a member or committed to sojourn what's holding you back Does this sound like the sort of community that you want to be a part of? If not, then friends, you need to find a church community that you can be a part of, that you can embrace, that you can be all in on. But if this is in any way compelling to you, attractive to you, then can we invite you to be a part of cultivating this sort of church in Hill City, Chattanooga, Tennessee? If this is the sort of community you want to be a part of, we'd love to have you. We're holding a Sojourn 101, a membership class, which is our prerequisite for membership on February 18th after the service. And you can use that QR code right now in the back of the seat in front of you. Snap that. Let us know you'd like to be involved in that membership class simply by marking on the form that comes up, membership. And we'll reach back out to you. So friends, that's a look around. Now... Let's look ahead. 2024, first Sunday of the new year. The elders would like to invite each of you into three postures for 2024, built upon the realities that we've just talked about. So first posture, lean into weakness through prayer. Lean into weakness through prayer. On our drive back from Sevierville last week, Elizabeth and I saw a great church sign. Now, let's be honest. Christians are not known for good signs on churches, right? There are some pretty bad church signs out there. But this one was fantastic. On a back road in Athens, Tennessee, we saw these words. A little church with a big God. Man, I like that. A little church with a big God. Friends, we have no idea what God's plans are for Sojourn. I have plans. The elders have plans. We would love to think that we will own this half of the building 
by the first half of 2025. We would love that. That's what we're going to work towards, and that's what we've been telling you and inviting you into. But we don't know what God's plans are for sojourn. But I do know at least two things. First, this group of people could get a lot done in our own strength. And we could probably become a pretty big church. And we'd have a very little God. Second, we can choose to simply partner with God in whatever he wants to do through sojourn. And continue to be a little church with a big God. No matter how many people are seated in this room. No matter how many people are gathered here on a Sunday morning at 817 North Market Street. And friends, I don't know about you, but that's what I long for. To be a little church with a big God. To remain a little church, not in numbers, but in posture. That we would conceive of ourselves as a church, as a little, insignificant church with a big God who's worthy of making, of being made known. I want people to walk into the space and be amazed, not at the decor, not at the excellence of the service, not at the number of people gathering, but I want people to walk into the space and be amazed at the presence and glory of God among us. So let's just be honest. Few of us in this room pray as much as we would like to, or pray as faithfully as we would like, including... The guy up front right now. And often that's because we try to manifest strength, power, control, sufficiency, independence. But friends, this church, can we just drop the charade? We're all weak. Every single one of us. And we don't have to pretend differently. The gospel has freed us from pretending differently. So let's lean into that weakness through prayer. God told Paul that God's strength was perfected in what? Paul's competence? Paul's ability? Paul's eloquence? Paul's ministry? Paul's work ethic? No! Paul's weakness. Maybe rather than leading out of our strengths, God wants us to lean into our weaknesses because that will force us to depend upon him in prayer. And guess what? That puts us directly in the pipeline where God's oil gusher of grace and mercy can be channeled to where he wants it to go. So throughout this year, you're going to be hearing of various opportunities to engage with others in prayer. But you don't need to wait for those opportunities. When someone shares something with you hard during the passing of the peace or before the service or after the service, just stop and pray together. You don't have to know exactly what to say or even exactly what to pray for. Just acknowledge weakness and bring it to the one who is almighty and strong. When you get a text from a friend about some trial or 
some struggle they're going through, give them a call and pray with them over the phone or simply just stop and pray where you are. So first posture, let's lean into our weakness through prayer. Second posture, let's lean into our need through generosity. Boy, we like to be self-sufficient, don't we? Let me ask you, is there a worse pejorative, a worse pejorative in American culture than the word needy? I'm not sure that there is. And if there is, you'll have to work hard to come up with it. But friends, needy is the proper posture for someone clinging to Jesus. In fact, if we don't own our neediness, we're not clinging to Jesus. We're not walking by faith. Come ye sinners, poor and needy. Let's embrace our need as we cling to Jesus. And as we embrace our need, let's ask God to open our hearts and our eyes to ways that we can be more generous towards those who are also needy. And I'm not talking merely finances. That is certainly a component, but that is merely a component of generosity. Whether that generosity is generosity of time or energy or finances, let's give ourselves away for the sake of Jesus so that others might experience gifts of gospel generosity. And friends, I need to follow that up quickly with, I know I'm preaching a bit to the choir here. If you've not heard that expression, that simply means I'm telling folks something that they already know and probably don't need to hear. We have opened the doors to you as a church family time and again the last year and a half, made you aware of the financial needs of our church, and you have responded. And we want to honor you for that as elders. We want to celebrate that. We want to mark that as evidence of God's grace. And in the last two months, as we had this giving drive towards the end of the year, you raised the bar even further. We have more people giving faithfully and generously than we did when we began. So hear this second part as simply an encouragement from your pastors to you. Even as you have responded, let's move forward in this posture together. But not merely financially. Let's be generous people with our time, with our energy, with ourselves. Let's lean into our need through generosity. Third posture. Let's lean into formation through presence. Through presence. Each of us are being formed by one or more things in our lives. And maybe as you heard in the looking around part of this message, you heard things that were compelling and convicting and attractive to you. But friends, if you want to be formed by that sort of culture, we have to be present in one another's lives. We have to show up. So for some members and regular attenders here, recognize this as an invitation into deeper community. Too often we make schedule and life decisions on what we perceive to be the means of flourishing for us, for our children. And then our decisions crowd out what God has ordained as the means of our flourishing. 
Perhaps it's time to commit to a life group as a means of intentionally engaging in gospel community. As you exit the space here after the service, off on your right, there's that counter attached to the wall. On that counter, there's a few pamphlets that describe our life group philosophy. If you're not in a life group, or maybe you're in a life group, but you just need a refresher and a reminder about what the heck are we doing each week getting together, grab one of those pamphlets, read through it, and remind yourself of what we are all about in our life groups. And you can use that QR code once again right now in the seat back in front of you and let us know you're interested in learning more about a life group. And either myself or Adam Barfoot, our life group's coordinator, he's here somewhere, Adam, once you raise your hand, he, will, he or I will reach out to you and get you connected to a life group. For others, that formation and discipleship looks like taking the next step of baptism. You've entrusted your life to Jesus, but maybe you've never followed him into the waters of baptism. We have a baptism scheduled January 21st, but tell you what, we would love to have to schedule another one. That's the sort of schedule challenge we would be delighted by as a church. There's nothing closer to the heart of the Great Commission than baptizing disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, you can use that QR code to let us know if you're interested in learning more about baptism. And for all of us, let's embrace the fact that Jesus designed the local church to be about spiritual formation. When you and I enter this space, it's not about us. It's not about our preferences. It's not about who we are as individuals. It is about us being formed as a church into the image of Jesus. So throughout the year, we will make you aware of church-wide opportunities for discipleship and fellowship and ministry that exist alongside of our life group ministry. Sometimes they'll be targeted towards specific groups like a, a women's Bible study or a men's study or a retreat or an all-church picnic or a community event. And church, our heart for you as elders is that you would show up. Not because we want to count heads. Not because we want to be able to report that X number of people came but we want you to show up because we want to see Christ formed in you. We want your presence so that Christ can be exalted in our lives. And we promise we will not needlessly clutter your calendar. I make that promise to you. We as pastors make that promise to you. But we also promise to work towards our collective and individual spiritual formation for the glory of God. So let's lean into our spiritual formation by being present when these opportunities arise. So looking around and looking ahead. Let's lean into our weakness through prayer. Let's lean into our need generosity and let's lean into formation through our presence so friends can we just stop right now and ask for God's blessing upon us as we move this direction here the first Sunday of 2024 let's pray together
Father, if truth be told, each one of us could stand up right now and give most likely a list of things we would like to see done and accomplished in 2024. But right now, collectively as a church, we lay down those goals and desires before you, our almighty creator and father, and ask for you to do what you will in our hearts, in our lives, and in our church. Father, we commit that we will lean into our weakness in prayer, that we will lean into our need through generosity, that we will lean into our spiritual formation by being present when the body is gathered. And so, Father, would you take these postures and would you be pleased by your Holy Spirit to then form us more deeply and more beautifully into a community that reflects not just the facts of the gospel, but the culture that the gospel creates. Father, I pray that Sojourn would be a church here in Hill City, in Chattanooga, that exalts the Lord Jesus Christ above everything else. I pray that we would be a church family that people walk into and sense something different. And it's not because of the music or the decor or the excellence of the service, but because of the spirit that is at work among us. Father, would you be pleased to draw more and more people to faithfully worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ? And would you do so through our church family? Do that through Sojourn Community Church. But whatever you choose to do, we will worship you. We will love you. We will sing praises to your name. We will cling to you. We will not turn back. We will not turn away. Because, Lord, to whom would we go? So, Lord Jesus, you are our King. You are our Savior. You are our Lord and our treasure. And so we worship you. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus who with our Father and with the Spirit will reign one God for all of eternity. Amen.